This afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 520 in the Book of Praise, if you'd like to read along. Lord's Days 2 and 3, recognize, we confess, recognize that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil unless we're regenerated by the Spirit of God. Lord's Day 4, the church continues her confession, but does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? No, for God so created man that he was able to do it. But man at the instigation of the devil in deliberate disobedience robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment, both now and eternally, as he has declared, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Galatians 3, verse 10. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ we looked at this morning in Luke 7, also the confession of the church involves the confession that we recognize our own sins, but also that we're by nature proud. That makes it hard for us to see our own sinfulness and rebellion and weakness. And often it's difficult to accept that there is a problem. And people even change their vocabulary to deceive themselves, calling adultery, love, calling revenge, justice, calling disobedience, freedom. In the minds of many people, we find that in our own lives as well, that sin is often the fault of the other person. So we justify it. We say, I've stolen something. Maybe the children say that too when they're talking to, to their parents. I've stolen something because so-and-so is unjust. Employee might say, might say, I've stolen time because my boss is, is not fair. Or I committed adultery, someone may say, because my wife or my husband is cold. Or I do not go to church. I don't obey the call to worship the Lord because so-and-so has hurt me. That placing the blame on another we, we see as a part of the fall into sin already Adam committed that sin as well. And ultimately, that blaming others leads us to blame God. God is unfair. 
In the Catechism, our confession takes that tendency of our hearts and deals with it quite openly, straight on. You could just see the questions in Lord's Day 4. It shows some of the questions of people who want to escape the consequences of their own rebellion. Look at question 9. But does not God, pointing the finger at God, does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? Look at question 10. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? And question 11, but isn't God also merciful? Now the church in dealing with these questions and answering these, these questions that we have in our own hearts shows that the answer has to be given with humility, but without ex accepting the spirit behind the questions. The answers make very clear that people shouldn't even be asking this question. God speaks very clearly in Isaiah 45, verses 9 to 12. I'll read those verses. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. That's where the verses end. And the fact is that the Bible then is very clear and quite repetitive in reminding us that God is most holy and most perfect and righteous and all-powerful, omnipotent. He's mighty, merciful, sovereign. And we have fallen into sin, inclined by nature to hate God and our neighbor. That's the, the starting point. So God is not like us. And that's what the answers in Lord's Day 4 are, are really repeating. Quit trying to put your way of dealing with things onto God. And so we're again called to be very humble when we lift up our eyes to, to worship the Lord, when we speak to Him, when we speak about Him. And also the, the Bible is very clear. It's, it's calling the ungodly to ask that gracious God for forgiveness. We read, we sang about Moses as a mediator. God gave a mediator so that we could still live in peace with him, but it requires that, that asking God for forgiveness, seeking that relationship, that, that broken and contrite heart. And as we understand what our sins deserve, we also understand the glory of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. And as we, we sing together hymn 73, 
Revelation 21, talking about the, the new heavens and the new earth. We also need to, to understand that to have that beautiful blessing of new heavens and new earth, that the, there needs to be a punishment for sin, a removal of sin from the relationship, from the church, eternal people of God. And so we confess that Christ has completely paid for all our sins. And we have confidence to enter into the most high majesty of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. We confess this in all humility. And Lord's Day 4 helps us to express the depth of our humility. And we confess, O oh, adopted child in Christ, meet your most holy Father. Don't forget who he is. We'll see that he's righteous in his judgment and he's holy in his relationship. The question of God's fairness often comes up. I don't know if you've asked the question before uh, or said it before, well, that's not fair. You look at a situation and you think it's not it's not fair. And sometimes we, we do the same with, with God, and, and that's the question. Is God not being unfair by asking us in his, to do in his law what we cannot do? If we're so sinful and weak, why is God still blaming us? Is it fair to ask a little child, two-year-old, to drive a car? demonstrates a fundamental problem with the meaning of the word fair. We have to think about that. What does it mean to be fair? Is it fair to simply forget that man has robbed himself of his gifts? Is it fair to expect, expect God to just receive the fact, receive, uh, accept that his subjects will forever be rebellious and ungrateful? Is it fair to, to, is God being fair when he says, I want to give you more than you deserve? Well, then we see that the word fair, just, in that sense, it doesn't, it doesn't fit well with this. He's, he's just in his punishment, but he's not fair in, in dealing with us because he gives us much more than our sins deserve. But that doesn't mean that God is now an unjust God. Romans 2 verse 2 says the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, the same things, the very things. It's referring to all those sins. Justice in the Bible is treating the person according to the truth of the situation. And therefore God judges based on how people use the gifts that that he gave them when he created them. And in today's reading, the Holy Spirit makes it very clear that even after the fall, people can recognize that God exists. They're still equipped to see that he is glorious, that he is just, that he is incorruptible, immortal, that he will judge the living and the dead. Romans 1, verse 19, the Holy Spirit says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. That's just. He's shown us who he is. In verses 20 to 21a, 
Paul says that his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. As is apparent from the fact that there are so many religions and so much religiosity in so many nations, it is clear that man has a sense of the divine, has a sense of eternity and of the presence of a creator. In verse 21, again, Paul says that man has knowledge of God. And then in verse 32, we read that fallen man also knows what God's righteous sentence against such sins is. The Bible is very clear that people have sufficient knowledge. God is fair, revealing, he's just, and showing who he is. He, he equips his creatures with what they need to know him. Romans 1, verses 18 to 2, verse 11, the passage we read, clearly explains that man robbed himself. He deprived himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Our present situation, we confess, is our fault. Having knowledge of the truth, verse 18, people suppress the truth by their righteousness. It means they, they try to push it down. They try not to have to deal with it. That's the, the description of sinful nature. Although people know God, they do not honor him as God, verse 21, or give thanks to him. It's quite striking. The sign of rebellion is, is not giving thanks. Verse 23, they exchange the glory of the immortal God who revealed himself for, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth for a lie. They had the truth, but they switched it. They preferred the lie. Verse 28, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. This is a description of, of the sinful nature within us that, that the Holy Spirit is fighting against. That desire to reject God, to worship our own gods, to change the, the priority list in our lives. And in the essence, says Romans, that means you choose the misery of sin over peace with God. People who do not want and cannot see God in this creation, says Paul, the Holy Spirit, are inexcusable. And therefore, the judgment that falls on those who, who turn away, even though they had that full revelation, it's, it's a just punishment. The truth is completely just. It's, it's rightly made, his judgment. That's why when the Holy Spirit begins to work in the heart of, of, a, of an unbeliever, the first thing that he sees is that he has been living in sin against his creator. He, he confesses sins. He realizes what those sins really deserve. That's how it is, isn't it? When we recognize what we've done, we, we humble ourselves, we tremble before the, the holiness of God and his righteous judgment. We speak with respect and humility. We recognize 
what we deserve. That's what we confess our original sin we're born with, our actual sins, the sins that we commit every day, they offend the God and his supreme majesty. And he hates those sins because they take away all the riches that he has prepared for us. They, they change joy to misery, freedom to slavery. And then Romans 1 and 2 explain that this just punishment happens now and forever. That's how we confess it as well. He will punish this with the most severe, uh, that is with everlasting punishment of body and soul. And in answer 10, punish them with a just judgment both now and eternally. Romans 1 verse 24 describes that now punishment. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves so that they may receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. Again, in Romans 1, verse 28, the Holy Spirit says that God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And the word gave them up, it shows that fallen creatures receive from God's hand exactly what they have already chosen in their rebellion. He gives them what they are seeking. Now, we do not say this with glee, with, with fingers pointing, but we say this with, with an urgency. We confess this with, with pity, with a prayer that that suffering that, in, that people endure is a consequence of their rebellion. We pray that that might serve in our lives as a call to repentance before the day of the last judgment that Paul also refers to in Romans. In addition, the Holy Spirit warns that the suffering of this life, after the suffering in this life for their sins, those who persist in that rebellion without, without repenting, because God is always waiting for the repentant sinner, but those who, who refuse that repeatedly will also suffer eternal punishment. That's Romans 2, verses 5 to 6. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. So according to the word of God, this Lord's Day, the church confesses that there is a place called hell, which is a place of eternal punishment. And the terror of hell is not that God is absent, but that he is present in all his, his holiness and majesty and justice actively punishing those who, who have rebelled against him, who refuse to repent, who constantly suppress the truth and injustice. How thankful we can be that that hell, that anguish and torment of hell was suffered for us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians will never have to experience this. That justice, that punishment is, is in order to prepare our home that Christ has prepared for us in his blood. We thank the Lord as we, we read this, as we reflect on what our sins deserve, 
to see what we do not have to suffer because of Christ's work. We sure have a beautiful message of hope to share with those around us. No one has to continue to live in that misery. And although no man can imagine what that experience of hell would would be, all know that God will punish those who do not accept the work of Christ in their place, that their judgment is completely just. Even those who are living in their sins will, will tell you that. Those who know the truth, those who you've maybe even talked to, they, they'd rather cling to their sin than, than leave that to live in communion with God. Some may even say that I know that if I continue to live like this, I'll, I'll go to hell. But I still don't want to live in communion with God. And then Romans says, and God will give them what they are insisting on. No one likes hell, but no one will accuse God of an injustice. That's what Romans 1 verse 32 makes very clear. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So is God just? Romans 1 says, yes, he is very just. So why does he apply this justice so rigidly? That has to do with the nature of God. He is a holy, holy, holy God in his relationships with us. The great problem with people is that although we know God, we do not honor him as God. A lot of people speak about God sometimes in an exclamation, basically swearing, misusing the name of the Lord. We know of God, or at least a concept of God, but the problem is when we do not honor him as God. Romans 1, verse 21. And this often happens because we're deceived by the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, or we're tempted by the world, or we can't have that long perspective. We live in the now, instigated by the devil, And then we become futile in our thinking. Foolish hearts get darkened. Romans 1 verse 21. And the Holy Spirit is saying that that what's happening is that sinful men, sin makes us forget what the word holy means. That's why sinners, why I in my sin, when I am sinning, we treat the things here on earth with more respect fear than we do our very creator. Sinners treat animals with more respect and reverence than their own creator. Romans 1 verse 25 talks about that. Pay more attention to the opinions of others, will they like me or not, rather than the will of him who reigns over all things forever. The one who is preparing that new heavens and new earth for us. Although we receive life and breath and everything else from God, Acts 17, verse 25, all those who are in that stage of rebellion, including many who call themselves Christians or maybe are going through the motions, give more attention 
to, to, a, to an animal, to their pets, than to the most holy God. The heavens declare the glory of God. It, it's clear wherever we look, we can see there is a, a mighty, holy creator. And yet that sinful nature within us is, is so proud and so self-focused self that we're, we're actually failing to see our most holy Father. Covering our ears, closing our eyes, focusing on the creatures rather than the Creator. And then we see that man's sin is not only idolatry, just idolatry, but it's more than that. It's idolatry and rebellion in the midst of clear revelation. We're able to see exactly who God is, but rather we choose idols, and we do that, it's, it's in a rebellious context. That's what the sinful nature is, is leading us to do. And then when we put man's sin, we put people's sin, their sinful nature, in the context of that relationship of the most holy God, who is reaching down to us in his mercy and his grace, who gives us a way into his presence and who's preparing a place without sin, then it's easy or easier to understand why we, we must confess that it, it offends God when we who were made to glorify him respond by rejecting him, putting him in a little corner in our lives, hating it when his word comes and confronts us in our lives. Because we're doing that to our creator, to our king, who established his covenant with us and dwells among us. It's good to reflect on what it means to, to fear God in our lives. To, to live our lives with with that law in our hands as we compare ourselves to that, like we do every Sunday, remembering, as we also see in Lord's Day 4, that quotation of Galatians 3, verse 10. God in his supreme majesty is in a relationship with us that he has initiated, that he has chosen. And he does not want his dear children to, to clothe their lives, to, to, to have a life full of, of that sinfulness and that misery that comes from that. We serve and worship a holy God. A God who must punish unfaithfulness and rebellion with damnation. It does not fit in that new heaven and new earth that he has prepared for us. Then we see that this has nothing to do with, with God's choice in the sense that he, he, is, he is randomly deciding to treat some well and some not well to punish others. But it has to do with who God is, who it is that we are worshiping. And the call of Scripture is adopted child of Christ. Know who your most holy Father is is. And it's in this holiness that there is hope for, for every one of us who knows him. 
God wants to dwell in our midst. But he does not want it to be a, a relationship where there's constantly tears and, and violence and fighting and, and, and rebellion. That's not a good eternity for us. That, that doesn't fit him and his holiness or how he made things. He, he will not accept sin in his presence. That's a good thing for us who are looking for eternity with God. He never accepted the filthy, the blemished sacrifices. He did not dwell in defiled temples. In fact, in the Old Testament, at one point, you even read that he, he left, his presence left the temple. He will not live in relationships with idolaters who prostitute themselves in the lust of their flesh without repenting. Those who, who throw away the work of Jesus Christ and try to, to do enough to please him. God has given us everything and he wants us to to dwell in his righteousness in Christ. And he wants that holiness to be seen, to be experienced in our lives, not only today, but forever. And then we see that his justice reveals the depth of his grace. He wants things to be perfect for us, his children. Perfect for all eternity. He desires, he will punish those who persist in their wickedness and rebellion because he wants us to live in pure fellowship with him. He doesn't want our eternal life to be ruined by wickedness and rebellion. And then we see the, the gospel of our confession in Lord's Day 4. The judgment of God is according to the truth. This truth you know, it's revealed to us now. You hear it today so that you can constantly repent and, and of your sins. You can seek forgiveness in Jesus Christ. No one needs to continue to live in, in rebellion, but there is a mediator, there is a savior, Jesus Christ, who calls us to, to come to him and receive a forgiveness. to stand before that most holy God in the blood of Jesus Christ without fear. The Holy Spirit asks us to reflect on some questions in Romans 2, verses 3 and 4. These, verse, these questions show the urgency of that proclamation of the justice of God, the mercy of God in his justice. The Holy Spirit asked, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness in revealing his holiness. His kindness in, in sending his son, Jesus Christ. His kindness in, in calling us to humble ourselves before him. We can't put God in any human box or category. The questions of Lord's Day 4, they fall short as they misunderstand the, the sovereignty and the majesty 
of God. But the gospel is that in his justice, there is mercy for the humble, for the contrite spirit who fears the Lord and serves him truly. And the call to each one of us again is to humble ourselves before him, to, to praise him for his son Jesus Christ, and to celebrate that grace, the grace that gives our hearts peace. Romans chapter 9 is very similar to what we read in Isaiah 41. I'll read that to end Romans 9, verse 18 to 26. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Amen.